Hello, book lovers. I'm Phil Svitek, joined alongside Marissa Serafini. And as you guys know the drill at this point, or perhaps you don't, we love books, we read books, and just like any other book club, we talk about books, except to your benefit, hopefully, we do it online, right? And so this month, we are doing Midnight's Children by Salman Rushdie. Now, uh, fortuitous isn't the right word, but the timing ended up being such as like when we had decided to read this book, then the tragic thing happened to Salman um, where he was attacked on stage. And so it kind of really solidified for us like, okay, we have to do this book. Um, it made it that much more pertinent to, to talk about it. But let's take a step back. What is this book about? Who is Salman and all that stuff? Well, this book in many ways, uh, the way it was billed to me, as I understood it, was like the X-Men of India. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, I can see that. But unfortunately, it's not quite like that. Like I thought, um, just based on the description, like it was going to be a magic realism tale and so forth. I thought it would be more fun. And I'm not sure if you've ever read Good Omens, Marissa, but that book by Neil Gaiman is just so whimsical. And I was hoping for that with this. Um, so I think there's a lot to discuss as far as the book, but as far as the enjoyment, I have a few nitpicks with it, but I'll kick it over to you for first, first initial thoughts. Yeah. First of all, I have not read Good Omens, although it has been on my reading list forever. So I kick myself for not getting to it yet. Maybe, maybe down the road, we'll read it. Maybe that'll be one of our months. So we decide to read that one. Um, Neil Gaiman's awesome. Uh, yeah, I can see where you uh, say X-Men because I got a lot of X-Men vibes reading this too. It seemed seemingly, you know, there, there's like a generation with special abilities and it only had happened at a certain amount of time, you know, to set out on a certain purpose. You think X-Men, I think uh, another more pop culturally recent kind of events. Um, if you've ever heard the Umbrella Academy kind of has a little bit of the same premise with, you know, special kids all born on the same day with special abilities. And, uh, you know, they're all collected together to have a bigger, you know, mission to save the world in, in that sense. So there are some correlations there um, in, in that sense. And like with that premise alone, I, I enjoyed it, and we definitely got the title, Midnight's Children, and why it's about um, the whole history, which we'll get into of the book, was also a learning experience, because admittedly, I know nothing about, really, about in India's independence, and just everything that happens with those countries, and who they went to war with, who they won, who they fought against, all that, so learning this, I felt like I got a bit of a history lesson as well, Um and then, you know, this being picking back off of our last months with, you know, the hundred years of solitude, the whole magical realism, um, like uh, laced with past history and, you know, related to real historical events, uh, you know, you appreciate everything that uh, that Rushdie writes about when it's certain characters and certain events and how it came to fruition in this book. Yeah. And, you know, learning about Salman Rushdie, like I, I've always heard of him referenced, but I've never like really explored him. And to call him a writer is a huge understatement. 
he is just a prolific human being. He is a political leader. He's he writes nonfiction books. He writes fiction. And when I say writes fiction, he's done over at this point, I think around like 13 novels. Um, and, and just he's a thought leader. Like there's so much to to contain his life um, in any short description is almost near impossible. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think it's emblematic of what this book essentially is because there's just so much jam packed in this book that it, it feels very akin to him as a person. He grew up. Um, so he was, he was born in 1947. He grew up in a Muslim family, but now like he is very adamant that he's a hardcore atheist. Um, he started off in advertising actually, which I think, um, uh, you know, in that way, um, I could see sort of the idea of, I, I think it infuses itself into his writing and we can talk about that a little bit more. Um, at the time he was working at the advertising agencies, uh, he, he wrote Midnight's Children. So this was like a side project before he went on a- after the success of this to, you know, become a full-time writer. And uh, he's written many, many of books like, um, the one that's even more known than this is the Satanic Verses, um, which became the subject of many uh, assassination attempts and threats and so forth, uh, mainly because, I mean, I, obviously I haven't read it, but the idea is that it takes um, certain liberties, talking about Iran and things of that nature. Um, and then from there, he just writes so many <laughs> other things, both short form and so forth. Uh, in fact, the ground beneath her, um, something that he wrote in 1999, was the basis for a YouTube song. <laughs> so he can claim to that. And, and in fact, they they did. They had to give him writing credit on it because they took so much from him. Uh, he's been knighted. Um, he taught at Embry University. Um, and as I kind of hinted at um, at the top of it, very recently on August 12th of this year, uh, he was giving a, a lecture here. He was scheduled to do a lecture in New York and someone came up and actually uh, was able to successfully attack him at least enough where he ended up going to the hospital. Now he is recovering, but all signs point to that he lost the use of one eye at this moment in time. So, um, you know, he's no stranger to, uh, to threats like that's basically and controversy. Like there's, you know, there's right. certain stuff that I've, I've heard of his um, that even I'm like, ooh, I don't know if I agree with him on that. Um, right. I mean, and first of all, that was very unfortunate he got attacked because I remember the day that happened, you and I, we were talking about it, knowing that we were going to read this book. And so it was very fresh in our minds. And it's so funny that, like, I had heard of him, but it never have read any of his writings. And then coincidentally i do have to throw this out there i was recently re-watching bridget jones diaries and he made a cameo in that i was like oh yes. that's someone rushed um uh, so like he just kind of he's one of those authors that just kind of pops up here and there and you know, like you might not realize that's who he is uh but if you're you know big into literature and just writing in general uh you should be well aware of who he is and his his work and you know the, the span of his career um and you mentioned advertising and i think like they, you can definitely kind of see that in in his writing where some events 
because it does seem so uh, exaggerated at some point. So you, you wonder like, how much is this real? How, how much actually did happen and how much, uh, is he like blowing up the story to make it believable with him in his characters and his peers? Um, because that I feel that's what advertising does. I, it sounds terrible. A lot of it's bait and switch where you're like, you, you build up something just you, so you can sell the product. And, and so like you're building a story to, to sell something. So it kind of goes along with, you know, all, all the events he, he writes in, in that sense. And, you know, uh, I haven't read the satanic verses, but I'm kind of interested just to see all the controversy that, you know, has all these looming threats over him and his, his life over all these years. And I'm just more out of the curiosity's sake and just to see like who, who did he really get upset in, in that sense? Um, it, you know, it's really unfortunate when, uh, when people are threatening his life, I think that's just a testament of, of how good of a writer he is because he's definitely emotionally affecting people out there that are having this type of visceral reaction to his writing. So I, I think hey, you can spin it in a positive way that like he, his word is getting out there and it's affecting people, whether it be good or bad. Yeah, and uh, certainly in that sense, um, this book in general is that it captures that spirit of needing to tell a tale, right? Like it is written by the main character, um, although he puts himself in third person every now and then. And, it, and you know, we'll talk about it coming full circle, but, it, but really it is, you know, it's not just a story of him. Like he begins the story almost 30 years before he's actually born. And it's like, well, how would he know that? But it's, it's about the capturing right. of, of this history whether it's accurate or not. And in fact, he'll, the, the narrator himself tells you like, I don't know if I remember it correctly. I don't even think that's how it happened, but forget about it. That's how I've written it. <laughs> right. And I, I do like when you're reading throughout the book, every once in a while you have parentheses, which is basically the actual author or quote unquote, um, the, the narrator's personal thought of like, hey, this may or may not have happened. Um, can't, remember the exact details and I think another writer that it kind of reminded me of was William Golden Goldberg Gold uh the the author of um Princess, Princess Bride. Bride yeah um oh my god people are gonna kill me for getting the his last name wrong um but if you've read that book you know there's a lot of uh very self-awareness with the writer and the narration like yeah I think this happened but that could be wrong. So we're just going to skip past 30 pages and get to this event, you know? So like, uh, I like those little drops that like, eh, take it with a grain of salt more so. Yeah, exactly. And uh, speaking to that point about taking the truth and extending it to like create a product, quote unquote, a lot of people have asked him like, it, is this autobiographical? And he's like, why do people assume just because I draw from my own experience that it's autobiographical? And I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I buy that quote because I think there's probably a lot more truth. Like art is the lie that reveals the truth, and I think this might be a lot more truthful about his own upbringing than he's letting on. Like I don't think these events particularly happened to him necessarily, but I think the emotion that he felt and how he perceived those certain things, I think there's a lot of truth within that. You know what I'm saying? Right. And I mean, 
And you have to remember, this is a story about magic realism. Um, yeah, they might be realistic characters in a realistic country with realistic historical events happening, but that doesn't mean that it is completely true to who the author is and how he grew up and his, his personal past. I mean, anyone who's written a supernatural fantasy book can't say that, oh yeah, this is completely truly based off of my life. You know, so I... I, I I don't want to say I hate when people are, you know, always ask like, what part of your life is, um, do you see in, in these characters? It's like, no, yeah, a person can have a very fertile imagination and come up with a completely original idea. So, yeah. Yeah. And certainly it is that genre, that magic realism, historical fiction, melodrama. He was very heavily inspired by Shakespeare and, um, Italio Calvino is, was one of his favorite writers. Um, I'm trying to look at the, uh, cause it's in my notes, but, um, he has a lot of inspirations. Um, Thomas, uh, Pinoch, um, Jorge Luis Borges, Lewis Carroll, um, James Joyce. So you see a lot of that. Um, what I wanted to kind of t- jokingly tell him, like if, if his favorite, um, author was kind of Italio Calvino, his books are like 200 pages. <laughs> Um, I like this book. No, this is a very long book. And so this is a very um, thick book. Um, so <laughs> I'm going to just to kind of orient people, I'll give the shortest summary of this book I can. And then we'll talk about the writing style and then we'll really deep. I'll, I'll let you talk about the writing style and then we'll deep dive everything. <laughs> okay. So, okay. Midnight's Children is a loose allegory of basically the start of India. Um, there's this main character, Salim, who's writing this book and it's told in three parts. The first part essentially begins with his grandfather 30 years before he's born, give or take. And um, he's taking care of this patient who he can't see, but kind of falls in love with. And then once he does see her, they marry, they have a bunch of kids. And then the one of the, through kind of a couple of things happen melodramatically, but then essentially um, one of the kids gets married and um, they move to this new town there um there's a wealthy person who's having an affair with like the entertainer we'll call him the court jester of the whole thing and so mm-hmm. you know the the court jester person thinks his name is like wee wee willie or something like that um anyway yeah. uh <laughs> anyway so he thinks it's his child um there's this woman that kind of knows the truth so she switches the people at birth and so the, the one that was supposed to be poor, Salim, ends up going with the rich family, quote unquote. And then the poor kid or the rich kid ends up being with the poor kid, their poor family. Right. Right. Let's get that straight. So then we're kind of into book two, finally, where, you know, you know, Salim was really the poor kid. But with the rich people, he's living like a crap, weird life. Um, he's a weirdo. And then around like age nine, 10, he learns that he can like communicate with kids that were born, um, or, you know, within the midnight hour of when India was created. And, and that's what makes him and this other kid special is they were literally born at the birth of independent India. Right. So their successes and failures essentially mimic India's rise and fall. And so he wants to like unite all these people. Um, which there used to be just over a thousand, but because of deaths, there's like about just a little less than 600. 
Um, yada, yada, yada. They don't get along. <laughs> he learns about uh, the character of Shiva, which is actually the rich kid who got switched to be the poor kid. Mm-hmm. Anyway, then they have to move to a different part <laughs> of India. Keep going. You're doing great. <laughs> there's a war that happens. Um, and then there's like a snake charmer. <laughs> I'm losing the thread really quickly here. Um, anyway, and then like the, the uh, Pravati the witch, which is one of the Midnight's children, she has a kid with Shiva, but it's a very tumultuous, contemptuous relationship. Um, and then his sister is now a famous sister who used to be called Brass Monkey, but now she's Jamila Singer. Um, anyway, war happens. Uh, he they try to sterilize all the Midnight's children. Well, Shiva does. Shiva does. Shiva, find, Shiva finds out about all the kids, and he's like, "Oh no, we got to stop this real quick because they're a threat to my leader who I serve. So we're, I'm going to do my job." put them all together and basically uh, inoculate them in a way and just strip them of their powers, which AKA strips them or like it, it takes away the threat of the leader that he's serving. Yes. And all this sort of happens and then kind of, it doesn't happen. And then uh, Salim finds himself where he's like, all right, I'm going to marry the love of my life, Padma, who I've been kind of recounting this entire story to, who hasn't really believed me, but I love her. End of story. <laughs> I think I got it <laughs> as yeah, much as one no, can off memory. That's that's pretty much it. And and I mean, if we do follow the, the main protagonist is Salim. We follow him at different stages of his life. Uh, him definitely uh, pre-birth. I mean, it's like his family, the establishment of independence, India, and then I believe book two is really about him and his uh, his younger self before turning 10 or like and then maybe his early teenage years when he's able to uh, communicate with all the other prepubescent <laughs> uh, midnight's children in, in that sense and try to gather them all together. And then the third book is him in his older years, you could say 20s, um, all, all the 20s and him during. Uh, his wartime with with the country and the expansion of his personal family in, in that sense. So it's like it's the three different stages of his life and all the crazy things that happen in between. If it sounds crazy, it's because it is crazy. Because it is. And not going to lie, it, it is a lot to follow reading this book. You're like, oh, man, all the people that he interacts with. Uh, I admittedly always when um, just as a reader, it, it gets hard for me to continue a book when there are so many different characters with so many different names at different parts of the book you're like okay I remember you for the one thing that you did will you be still relevant 300 pages from now and I think that's that's kind of what happens with this book so many characters come and go and some but like only a handful really do stay throughout Salim's life but it, it is one of those books that just there are a lot of people and players involved and you just have to remember everything that happens. That, and they often switch names. Like there are multiple yeah. characters that literally just change names. Um, so his- or like young- one has a nickname or like uh, as a kid, he called them this, but now as adult, he calls them that. And it's like, you're like, okay, there's two names of the same person. So, yeah. Yeah. In, partic- in particular, his younger sister- 
who used to be called Brass Monkey. Now she is Jamila Singer. Jamila. Um, so yeah, and here I don't I don't know what it was like for you. Like on paper, that sounds all sort of exciting. But as far as like what was written, it just kept being like, and wait, but you don't understand. This is like really important. And okay, so I'm going to tell you this. And most people don't believe me. I'm like, just just tell me what it is. And <laughs> and honestly, like I, I I get from a theoretical standpoint what the whole family stuff was about as part of book one. Really, it could have been like a prologue. You know? Yeah. I mean, like I can understand that because there are so much detail that happens and I think book one is the longest I mean it's it's a few hundred it's pages. like 250 pages right um, um until we get to book two uh it, it takes a while but uh once uh, I mean and like like any good book I guess you can say you need the establishment but the way that this book is written and the narrative again with very long paragraphs a lot of stream of consciousness um, with every once in a while with the parentheses of uh, a, a little uh, mental note that this may or may not happen that kind of he kind of contradicts himself a lot or he, he second guesses um, his his facts uh, of the story so we you go into a long paragraph you're like did all this happen did it not I don't know um, but it, it is one of those things, I don't want to say it's superfluous dialogue, but there's a lot of extra details in it that you could cut and you wouldn't miss anything. That's the thing. Like there, there are certain sections. Um, I remember like some, some part in book two, he went on this tangent into like the 60s of like, like what kind of would happen to X, Y, and Z person. I, for, I forget the exact details. And then it just kind of ends but we're not there and it doesn't really matter. So let's get back to the story type of thing. Not literally those words, but it was like that. And it was like, wait, I just read like 30 pages. So right. what was the important part? <laughs> like what, did, what, what just happened? Right. And then we get to like page 245. I remember because uh, it was so clearly written out to the reader. Like, oh, wait, we're so far into this book. I have yet to even discuss what Midnight Children really is. I'm like, oh, all right, now we're getting somewhere. Now we're actually getting to the, <laughs> to the title story. I was like, all right, now you've definitely got my, my attention. But the fact that we had to get to 245 pages of it, I'm like, conciseness, man, get there. Get there faster. Goodness. Yeah, and I don't know, for me, like, I guess one of the things that I'm learning about myself is I... I like to be in the moment when I read. And so this doesn't have a lot of dialogue. It just has a lot of description of what was talked about, you know? So it'd be like, Phil, Phil and Marissa talked about Midnight's children. Marissa wasn't too pleased and neither was Phil. It's like, okay, but show, t like write it out, <laughs> you know? Right. And like, you, I mean, you have to give him credit that he is at some points he gets very self-aware of that but it takes him 200 something pages to be like oh yeah sorry i, I may have run off on a, a very long tangent let's get back to the the meat of the story here yeah it's um it's it's good in that sense yeah that it, that is self-referential but it's almost like more not annoying more like frustrating the fact that he, he he's well aware of what he's doing in those moments Right. And then yet yeah, he keeps going for another hundred pages 
uh, the same descriptive kind of details of whatever events happening to his character. Yeah. And I mean, a big part of this was the sort of, I mean, just culturally India is as diverse as one can sort of imagine, Um, you know, in in that sense, like there's so many different cultures and subcultures and so forth. And um, it is one of those things that like, I certainly don't, know nearly enough to like even be able to orient myself um so part of the excitement for me going into it was to try to learn you know just more about the culture and stuff like that and um i don't know if i i don't know if i learned as much you know um i remember i did like the grandmother saying um what's it called what's it called she just kept saying what what's his name yeah what's his name (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, the, there's a lot of repetition. And I, I think that also goes with the fact that uh, maybe he wrote the grandma's memory, couldn't remember a name because he, the author, couldn't remember the name or the, the character, Salim, being the narrator, couldn't remember that point of, you know, the, the, the story. Uh, and, and like, I, I think another good example of it to to try to explain it better that there's I'm going to get pop culture here um there's an episode of How I Met Your Mother and the narrator that every episode is told as a quote-unquote memory of you know the main narrator is telling stories of his younger self to his kids so every episode is basically a memory and then like they they get very self-aware at times it's like I don't remember this character's name so we're just going to call it blah blah (laughs) So, and, and it has that kind of sense throughout the book every once in a while, like, what's his name? That person. Or, you know, they, they just blur things together just to be like, okay, it's a person or it's a thing that they're trying to reference. And we don't really need to put an actual name to it because at the end of the day, not really all that important. Yeah, no, it, it really wasn't. Is there a particular character that you liked the most? liked the most huh I mean I did like the aunt Uh, she did play a good part because um you're talking about emerald uh the the uh the 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 woman is it the woman who not switch but yeah I think actually again with all these characters oh you're talking about the caretaker yeah the caretaker who felt bad um, and guilty for switching the two kids who uh, like because of um, the switching she she felt so guilty that she's like all right I'm gonna now help raise raise him to kind of make atonement in that way so like I did like her because she does come around also at the end and, and he plays a um, one of the rare characters that is throughout the book so uh, I, I liked her because she's a nice through thread throughout all the the three books um I don't know why like I enjoyed Padma simply because like we never really got her full personality it was more so like that was the moments where um you know Salim would sort of break his writing character and be like Padma thinks this sucks but I don't have time (laughs) to fix it (laughs) like I don't know there's just such a raw personality to it um where it was like a kind of a breaking of the fourth wall and, and really spoke as the like audience surrogate. Right. And, and I think it just shows that like, that's also realistic where 
it's either um, a, a man is very aware that their significant other is is bored. They're like, but but that's besides the point. I'm gonna keep telling the story even though they don't like it. Yeah, yeah. There was a there was a lot there, um, and I mean honestly, like if I. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think there's a lot to like, and I understand why people do like it. Um, there's that side of it, like it is, it's in, all of this is in service, like ult- ultimately what it's saying is preserve history, right? And we have to tell our own tales sort of thing and that there's power in the written word. Um, and, you know, especially from, you know, an Indian perspective, quote unquote, the idea of like preserving our own history and our own identity and um, keeping this record alive is important. So I understood that side of it. Uh, And I also, I don't, um, did you get the sense, like, it was very interesting to me how there was a lot of hope pinned on um, him in India at the very beginning. And then it kind of, I don't know, for my money's worth dissipated, you know, where like the reality set in, which which kind of tracks with just all people in general, right? Like the youth that has this blind optimism. And as you get older, you get curmudgeony. Yeah. I was just going to say, I was like, I think that's the, you know, ignorant is bliss because when we're kids, we think we can do anything. We have this naive sense of the world and thinking that um, they can take on and cure and do whatever. And then as we get older, as we understand more, we realize, Oh, that's not, um, feasible. And so I, I think reality just sits, sets in that like, oh, um, they, they realize that they're not invincible in, in that sense. And they are flawed and they can't fix everything, even though they thought they could when they were kids. Um, yeah, I, di- I did see that because we we saw like his mentality during the war in, in book three, um, how, how things change, how he sees the world and how uh, the, the disparity of uh, of the country at that time so uh, yeah it's definitely the reflection of um the whole ignorance is bliss kind of deal yeah and also I, I think he was well aware of like what he was drawing from like there's literally superman comics referenced within the text that's why i have no qualms about calling him like the professor x um not mm-hmm. that i think uh you know the x-men uh, you know this was written in um uh, 81 right but like uh just in general i obviously i don't think like the x-men they came out but they probably weren't that big around that time superman i mean goes back you know to the earlier part of the decade so that's why he would have made that reference um but just that, now we yeah. have like dc verse marvel <laughs> that's a whole thing too exactly but you know but just the idea of how Western culture kind of was seeping in and just that very oblique reference of Superman, Man of Steel, you know? Yeah. And the X-Men's were created in the 60s, I believe. So uh, I can definitely see if there were um, X-Men related um, content to this. So, yeah, I, I mean, and and that's another thing is that, you know, the, the X-Men, they band together and they had this bigger, more ideal version of of the world you know and like yes they grew up discriminated against but at the end of the day they still see the good in humanity um and i think that's what salim was thinking you know he 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 sees the 
the, the problems and troubles of the country, but he still wants to do something to help. And he has this ability and he realizes he's connected to other people who also have special abilities and he wants to get them together in order to maybe do something and help the world in a bigger sense. Like his, the, the whole um, theme of collectiveness uh, and working together as a group to, for the bigger picture and, and a bigger whole. Yeah. There's that side of it though. Like, you know, he's got everyone there. Like it very much is like, okay. So everyone's like, what, what's step one? Right, well, step one is create a plan, you know? And then everyone just argues about like, well, what is that plan? You know? Um, it's almost, I don't know if you, you remember um, the 1960s Batman TV movie. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> well, anyway, so there's like a, this like fake UN type of council and, you know, essentially they have to save them. And by the end they do. And it's like world peace rests on these people's shoulders. Like literally that's part, part of the line. And then they're brought back. They're essentially reanimated back to life. Don't ask me how or why that that's a thing. And literally the first thing, like as if no time had passed, they're just bickering nonstop. <laughs> right. So it very much feels like that of like, just, you know, you have these 500 or so kids uh, midnight's children and it's they just can't agree on a single particular thing and right. oh, oh sorry not to tell you but you have to remember like there are 500 kids with no direction and no leadership um other than the fact that like how productive could a meeting be when you have that many young minds together mm-hmm. with no sense of direction so it is no surprise that that whole meeting didn't get anything accomplished other than the fact that Hey, we we got all the all the world's special children together in one place. Well, that's where the politics of it does come in, right? Because he very much wanted it to be a democracy, whereas Shiva was like, "No, I'm the leader. We're going to do what I say." Essentially, I'm like, "No, let's all vote." <laughs> and it was like, <laughs> no one knew. What. So, you know, I, I it is that weird sort of commentary where obviously. Uh, dictatorship is far easier in terms of a system doesn't mean it's good it's just doesn't mean easier. it's effective <laughs> yeah it's just it's just easier um and i don't know in some sort of weird way it did make me appreciate like the u.s as an experiment the fact that like as unstable and weird as it is it's like all right well i guess it's sort of working like the fact that we can at least like weirdly agree to enough things to like create this right and we at least agreed to a meeting to sit down and talk to each other to at least try to accomplish something. You know, you, you got to give them props for that. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, like society in general, right? Like even like Lord of the Flies and any of these types of stories, it's kind of right. a miracle society exists. <laughs> yeah. And Lord of the Flies, there was only about like, what, 12 boys? I mean, I'm not great with numbers, but I mean, there was only a handful of kids and they could hardly get along together themselves. Ma- imagine 500 plus kids. Like, not again, not a lot was going to get done during that meeting. Yeah. And also we should talk about, like we kind of hinted at, but the idea that like some kids are quote unquote more special than others, depending on which time you were born. So the closer to the midnight you were born, the more you know, more effective. Elite. Your path. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or like the, the more stronger and specific and cooler your powers are basically. Yeah. yeah. Whereas, uh, you know, if you were born at like 1259, you're like, 
oh, I guess, I guess you can hang out with us. <laughs> you're like, you're, what, what, what was the reference? Like bottom of the barrel kind of, kind of things. Like some of them were uh, quote unquote circus freaks that yeah. like, um, I, I believe there, there was a pair that was Siamese twins. Um, but like one person could walk through walls, which is cool. That's a very kitty <laughs> X-Men kind of character thing. Um, so yeah, it's just like closer to midnight, the more very, uh, more cool and power, powerful your abilities are. And then like the farther away from midnight, it's like, eh, your special, your speciality isn't so special in that way. It's kind of just like the, the one weird quirk. It gets weirder the farther away from midnight you get for it. And, and it's that stuff that I would have loved to explore. Like, I, I don't know in general, like, I have to imagine if that kid's parents saw like their child walk through a wall, it's like, that must be like national news. Like, you know what I mean? It, it was all just so that's cool. Like there was so much coolness to it. And yet we're writing about like the affairs, like literally the extra marital affairs of basically everyone involved. Yeah. Well, because romance and, uh, you know, cheating affairs are, is very interesting to any relationship that you read that that's there in lies the drama but like uh, i completely agree i think maybe maybe it's just our personalities uh that i think it would have been i would have been way more uh captivated had he kept talking specifically more about the actual midnight's children rather than the his family members or the the people who he grew up with yeah, um, I wanted to know more about the actual children. Exactly. You know what? Do me a favor. Flip that book open and read that back summary because <laughs> I don't. Okay. Here's the thing. The I don't think thing? it's that. Just, just the, it's not that long. No, it's not. I mean, unfortunately for you, I'm a very fast reader. All right. Greeted by fireworks display, cheering crowds, and prime ministers, Nehru himself, Salim Sanai, is born at the stroke of minute on August 15, 1947, the very moment of India's independence. Salim grows up to to learn the ominous consequences of this coincidence. His every act is mirrored and magnified in events that sway the course of national affairs. His health and well-being are inextricably bound to those of his nation. His life is inseparable, at times indistinguishable from history and his country. Perhaps, yeah, there you go. But just that opening little bit, right? It makes it seem like that's chapter one. But like everything that Celine does in his life is always tied to historical event of his country. It's not, um, it, it's like he, he is, you know, basically, um, gosh, what's the word? Uh, he, he's, he just, he's tied with, with the country and anything that happens. And because from such a young age, he, he like truly thinks that whatever he does, it affects the country or whatever the country does, it affects him. Yeah. And it, in many ways, like, did you get the sense that as time went on, he kind of became sort of passive in that where he, you know, initially kind of took on a more active role and then mentally, at least he's like, well, what'll be, will be. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you definitely saw that uh, when he's recounting his grandfather and stuff and uh, and describes the importance of his birth and why it's so special with the other, you know, kids. Um, he, he sees it as like such a, a phenomenal event. And he, he was even like 
dare say, condescending about um, the the reporter who was covering the story and saying that she only got paid like uh, an X amount of dollars or rupees um, to cover the stories where because this is such a cool event, she got it. She should have been paid way more because like our all of our births are are phenomenal in that sense so like she she doesn't realize how important and special we are um so the fact that she only got paid a handful of rupees is kind of an insult so like he he's already born and established himself with like such pride and throughout the book that slowly goes away yeah cool and do you think it's tied in with the idea that, you know, his life is a lie? I mean, very, not very early on, but um, at a certain point, certainly when, when he's still young enough, it is revealed to, we'll say the world that he was switched at birth and he's not really who he's supposed to be. And there's like a shame brought on by that. Right. Absolutely. When he realizes like, oh, he's living this life that wasn't supposed to be his, that kind of strips him of his identity, his identity that he established himself so highly and thought so highly of himself when he realizes it's, it's not true. He's like, oh, OK. It, it, again, it, it takes away that pride that he, he knew and he loved and it kind of changes his character I, to say in a good way. I'm not sure, but it does it makes him realize like, oh, maybe he's not as special as he thought. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, did you know that this also eventually got turned into a movie? I did real, uh, hear about that after the fact. Yeah, so um, the movie was written also by Salman Rushdie, but, uh, but it didn't do so well. And I could understand why. Just, it, they, I think in general, it's very hard to adapt you know, good books, uh, well, especially if you're just going to make one movie. Right. And like, there's a lot and it's a lot of internal stuff. So like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It, it, you just kind of set up for failure type of thing. Right. How do you condense this big book into one movie? Um, again, because that, I mean, yes, when you read it, there's a lot of, uh, internal stream of conscious dialogue and a lot of, uh, extra stuff that if you skip over it, not to say you would, uh, but like you can um, omit a lot of things and it's not changing the story. You're not um, missing anything because the main character is Celine. So really uh, after reading this book that like there are only really a handful of events that happened to him that um, stuck out to me as a reader that I can remember and all the other details in between, I don't. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Like, um, like I said, I mean, the the Midnight's Children in particular was the driving force for me. And the irony is, we spent so little time with it. With them, yeah, (laughs) with them. It was like you get a brief summary of like what they are, how they're special, how they're tied to each other, how they're tied to the country, um, and its history. But then they all just. you know, once Shiva strips them of their power, then they're just people. And he and, uh, it, it, you know, Selim doesn't um, connect with them anymore. It, and it, and then all that, uh, in that sense, it also takes away his power being connected to them. So they're not really 
Midnight's children anymore. They're just children. Yeah. And I mean, part of like, just even hearing you say that kind of makes me think, I, I, let me know if this resonates in any sort of way, but his desire for connection, right? Because a lot of time it, in earlier parts of the book is spent talking about Brass Monkey, his sister, right? And like, mm-hmm. at this point, I could tell you Brass Monkey's entire dating history, <laughs> <laughs> right? And so, but but I think he's like, and even though she she's his younger sister, I still think like he was trying to connect with her and she was just so bold. I mean, hence the name really came from that. She just didn't care about anything. He was going to do what she wanted. Um, right. And he just, he just very much wasn't that type of kid. Um, so I'm wondering if that, you know, goes with along how you interpreted it. Yeah. Um, definitely the connectiveness is how like his life is so tied to everything and everyone. And once that's taken away, well, when you sever connections, it kind of severs his, sense of being in that sense but there's also uh you know there's that theme of connectedness but there's also this theme of not to get too much but if you want to um into the themes of repetitiveness and symbolism the the whole ups and downs and the whole snakes and ladders there was a big big theme to snakes and like snakes have this symbolism of you know being evil but also the game snakes and ladders like you can go up and you can go down and that's a reflection of india and the power you know um who's at its height and like uh, the the um upheavals and the downfalls uh, of the country and gaining its independence going to war with china and so like there's there's a lot of ups and downs and balances uh within the events and all these stories that salim's uh recounting i did forget about that like there's a legitimate chapter and when i say chapter like probably 45 pages dedicated to snakes and ladders to snakes um but yeah after all the all the snakes and like he he mentioned snakes like every 10 pages um in some sense but and uh but i definitely get it because first of all you can't trust them um and for every up there's down and um and you definitely saw that because and then he would uh describe certain people as snake like with characters and green um there, there was the the repetition of just the color green and everything um green color green eyes green hair green food um so like again there's just a lot of repetitious things and even with numbers, I'm like, and I'm not great with numbers, but he mentioned the importance of numbers. We got 420 several times. We got 1,001, um, which is, you know, a big number if you've ever read Arabian Nights, you know, 1,000, 1,001 Arabian Nights. There was a lot of reference to Arabian Nights, yeah, for sure. Yes. Um, have you ever read it? I've read it. It's good. I, I've seen the movie. <laughs> or, <laughs> Fair enough. There's multiple movies, but I... It, I yeah, what and there's multiple stories. Uh, do read that. That's actually a really good book. Um, so yeah, just the importance of numbers. So like 420 and then 666 and then the, the whole starting out at 1001 down to 500 down to whatever number. So just repetitions of a lot of different things throughout this um, that sticks with this character. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And um you know, one of the things for me, like the, the whole sterilization aspect, um, 
you know, certainly is reminiscent to many parts of history, but, um, but for me right now, like it reminded me of uh, certainly like just we'll call it the abortion war kind of going on in America, right. Of mm-hmm. um, you know, essentially, cause it is, I mean um, in, in, as far as the book, like you sterilize the kids, they lose their power. Right. And you've right. essentially taken away their entire identity, their choice and so forth. And uh, certainly it's a war being waged. So it's, I don't know, this is in a way, right. That's what makes books and stories so powerful is because, you know, the great ones, you know, you can, they're timeless in that way. You can compare it to the Holocaust, you can compare it to other, you know, genocides and so forth. Like it's just, you know, sadly, human history is riddled with that stuff. Yeah, and it's terrible. Um, but it's also very realistic in that sense because we know real life history has happened and stuff like that ha- has happened. So it just makes you feel for these kids who are young, who don't have that power, um, who had something special that was taken away from them. And and like, and that's the whole point of this book is that that, that was Salim's identity. Once uh, he loses that, he loses his purpose and someone else gives him a, not to say gives him a purpose or like someone else tries to assign something to him just based on his ability. But he, and like him losing his memories also, again, because this book is all based on memories and then him losing it, you, as a reader, you're like, Okay, so what's true and what's not? Yeah. Um, that, so yeah, when, that, you, when you lose all that, you're like, I don't, I don't know. That is, that is a big thing that I forgot to like really touch upon was the, the idea that, yeah, during the war, he loses, he basically has amnesia and it's Pravati the witch who basically gets, you know, re- gets him to remember his name and, and all that. So He's also a Midnight's children. But... Had she been stripped of her power, she wouldn't have helped uh, Salim regain his identity. That's right. That's right. Well, any uh, final thoughts before we talk about sort of how well it did? And it did well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it did well. I, I do appreciate the the repetitious things and how um, you shouldn't be defined by what you uh what you're capable of it's also because the way he speaks about his family members um which is generally pretty high um it's also like the people who remembers who he is um kind of fills in the gaps of who he is despite his abilities yeah well midnight's children has sold over one million copies in the uk alone and won the Booker Prize and the James Tate Black Memorial Prize in 1981. Um, in 1984, uh, <laughs> it was interesting. Um, there was there was a lawsuit against him for defame for defamation um, in Chapter 28, but uh, but luckily it all got worked out and um, Rushdie agreed to remove the sentence. So apparently, we didn't get that sentence in there. Um, it's been awarded the Booker of Booker's Prize and the uh, Best All-Time Prize winner in 1993 and 2008 to celebrate the Booker Prize 25th and 40th anniversary. Um, in 2003, it appeared uh, at number 100 in BBC's The Big Read poll, which determined the UK's best loved novels of all time. Um, quite interesting. Very fascinating that 
people in the UK really love this since it's, I don't think it's an anti-UK book, but, um, you know, obviously the UK has a very complicated history with, with India. With India, uh, of course. And so it, it's really not surprising that it would do well in the UK because this book is so tied to British history, um, especially during 19, I mean, this book was published in 81, um, and so him recounting all these stories is really, if you look at the timeline, it's not that long ago from the independence to when this book was published. So it's, it's fairly fresh in everyone's mind. So it, it's no surprise that this book got a lot of praise and recognition back in the 80s because people who were reading the book back then were part of the generation when all this happened. Yeah, and if nothing else, like one of the big successes of this book for me was really considering how young of a country India really is. And in general, how many young countries in general there are within the world that we just don't even think about, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And so there was that aspect of it that uh, certainly made me recontextualize the world a little bit more. So I appreciate it for that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, that's, uh, that finishes off Midnight's Children, and we can chat about what we will be doing next. Um, so Marissa's pick for next month in October, The Remains of the Day. Yeah. So we have that. Uh, you want to give a little preview of why you chose this book? Well, um, uh, one of my favorite books ever was, is actually the book Never Let Me Go by the same author. I love the book, love the movie. Um, and I just hope it's not one of those, not to sound pessimistic, but one of those, you know, theory of diminishing returns that hopefully this story is just as good as, you know, that book, which I so love. The Remains of the Day actually came out before um, Never Let Me Go. But uh, this book got praised back in the 80s. Um, there is a movie also that has been adapted with a big, uh, well-named, well-known cast. Um, so if you want to watch that movie as supplementary to this book, I'm just excited to read it. It's a fictional story. Um, you know, yeah, and it's not as long as this one. It's um, not as long. And it, it is the winner of the Nobel Prize in Literature. So, um, yes, you know, so we have that to look forward to. And the author, Ishiguro, is a Nobel Prize winner. So we know he's a, he's a well-renowned author um, yeah. with big literary accolades to his name. So in that sense, just alone, uh, um, hopefully it's good. And for, uh, for November, I'm starting to pick shorter books. So right here, uh, this is called Saturday by Ian McEwen. So this will be our November book. Uh, if you loved Atonement, um, this is by the same author, and uh, I'm almost through this one. Uh, I, think, I think you'll enjoy it. Then in December, we will celebrate the holidays with Hercule Perot and Agatha Christie in Hercule Perot's Christmas. So I don't have that book to hold up, but... Uh, but I, I but... have it. It's back there. <laughs> and then, um, you know, what's fun about this. Like, I, it's fun. I don't know how much you spend time, like, thinking about, like, what will be on the upcoming reading list. But so far, these are some, like, considerations for 2023. So... <laughs> good for you you're really thinking ahead i'm just thinking like one month at a time well the fun part like one of the reasons i love this is just 
you know, we obviously love reading and I love reading. And there's so many great stories to read. And if, if, yeah. if there's any downside to this uh, through no fault of our own, it's just like we only really get to read and talk about 12 books a year, you know, so it's yeah. really not a lot. <laughs> so, yeah. but uh, but we enjoy it when we do. And, and it's a lot of fun. Um, any uh, anything yeah. you want to plug before we wrap on out? No, other than the fact, just keep reading. I, yes, um, I love reading. You love reading. That's why we keep doing this. And, uh, you know, just keep reading. It, it, it's what keeps us all together and, and engaged. Whether you like the book or not, it's still a good discussion to get together and kind of open your eyes to stories and historical events that you may not have known, but might have a better sense of the world. Indeed, indeed. And as always, comment down below. Let us know what you thought of the book, if you have any questions, or just, you know, book recommendations. Um, yeah. would, love to, uh, would love to check them out. In fact, uh, uh, there was someone who wrote a very thoughtful response to, um, why am I blanking on the book? I forget what book they responded to, um, but they said it was one of their favorite books and they thanked us for, uh, for covering it. So um, luckily, oh, that's nice. Luckily, it wasn't one of the ones we didn't like. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's nice. And you know, I mean, it, it, we have read some good books. I just gave The Invisible Woman to my mom uh, recently. So, and because, you know, there are great stories out there, you know, whether they're fictional or not, that, you know, other people might enjoy them if they've never heard them before. Just like open your eyes. There's thousands, millions of stories out there. And I know I'm preaching to the choir at this point, especially this far into the episode. But um, but I was talking with a friend who reads like nonfiction exclusively. I was like, read Midnight, read The Invisible Woman. You will like it. You're Jewish. Read it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's terrible. <laughs> well, no, I because I, I, right. I said like it. My, my pitch was like, hey, it, it's a nice like gateway drug because it's like realistic enough where you'll get like the history and and it's someone who's trying to learn more about like her history of of her Jewish culture. So I'm like, well, this is like, you know, nice gateway drug <laughs> into fiction. There you go. There you go. And, and see, and I usually just read fiction. So yeah, I'll, I, I rock both. open my eyes. I rock both, you know, I think both are, both are very valid and needed. Um, so yes. Anyway, at Serafini TV is where you can follow Marissa's adventures. I'm at Phil Deck. Thank you so much. We'll see you next month with <laughs> the remains of the day. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Bye. Bye, guys.